James, have you submitted your mail-in ballot? Yeah, I actually sent it in a couple weeks ago. Awesome. Um, you know, with elections just around the corner, we wanted our first episode of Community Echoes to be about the importance of civic engagement and how folks and the community can get involved even after elections. And what better person to talk to than City Council Member Helen Gim? Council Member Helen Gim has been called the city's loudest mom, a beloved teacher, a fierce warrior for the city's school children, and Philadelphia's most popular politician. Since coming into office in 2016, Helen Gim has continued to lead campaigns to help establish a human rights agenda for the city and took on corporate power and waste. Lately, she's been hard at work making sure families are protected from eviction and holding Comcast accountable for providing free internet access to students. Without further ado, Helen Gim. Welcome to Community Echoes. Uh, we really appreciate you being here today, Helen. I'm thrilled to join everybody. Thanks, Ben. Thank you to the ICASA team. I'd also like to welcome Jingjing Zhang, who is our Associate Director uh, for ACASU, to be joining us here today. Hi, y'all. My name is Jingjing. I take she, her pronouns. I am the current Associate Director of ACASU. Uh, very excited to talk to Helen Gim today because as a Philly native, I have been following her for a while. So getting to meet up with her again over Zoom, <laughs> um, it's going to be super exciting. Thanks, Jingjing. Do you mind talking to us about how you got involved with activism and if there was like a defining moment for you? I feel like I came to activism kind of late in my life. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio during Ronald Reagan's America. And so it wasn't like really super politicized. I think like many young people, I kind of didn't understand how I fit into a world that was often defining race by a black white binary. But a lot of that changed when I moved to Philadelphia and I uh, was told that I had to volunteer at this place called Asian Americans United because it was, you know, a place where people said these badass political revolutionary women were out to change the world. And I was really lucky, you know, I found like a true political home at AAU. Uh, people there had been part of the civil rights struggle as SNCC workers. They had mobilized against apartheid and against nuclear power, fought for LGBTQ rights. I met Yuri Koshiyama, Grace Lee Boggs, and uh, a Philadelphia AIDS activist, Kiyoshi Karamaya. One of the more defining moments for me in, in activism was uh, in early 2000, when a brand new mayor announced that Chinatown uh, was going to be the site of new Major League Baseball stadium for the Philadelphia Phillies for like 600 some million dollars a year back then. And we mobilized as Chinatown, but I was pretty new. And I remembered thinking at the time, like, guys, we're gonna so lose this fight. I mean, like on the one side is everybody from the mayor to every elected official to Major League Baseball. And then on the other side is all of us. And I'll always remember, like I was working hard because I was the comms person um, doing kind of outreach and organizing a big rally at City Hall. And I remembered uh, one of our founders, Debbie Way, stepping up to the microphone and behind her were these like fabulous like banners that were rippling in the wind and like signs that we had held up. 
but still, you know, I, I, I felt a tremendous amount of doubt, but she like rose up, got onto the microphone and in a bilingual speech in both Mandarin and English declared that Chinatown would be a last stand. And this was about our history. And she spoke about culture and language and vitality. And it was just like, oh my God, let's just charge. You know, like it was so invigorating. And I think ever since then, my heart has always laid with leaders who rise up in unlikely moments and lead the charge. And like you said before, like your roots are, are literally in grassroots mobilizing, literally with Asian Americans United, uh, which still to today is mobilizing on the ground still for various issues because the fight is never over. How do you balance both sides? Like, where do you see like change happening like most effectively? Because I think especially for younger generations, um, they get very jaded by politics. Um, they're like, oh, they don't listen to us anyway. They want to get reelected. But then also on the other hand, when we do try to like grassroots mobilize, like for example, if we're demanding something from like you know, our university administration, we get burnt out very easily. I guess in terms of like fighting for change after like experiencing both grassroots and now being in like a position of influence, like how do you see like the playing field now? Yeah, that's a really great question and a hard one to really think about. I mean, you know, still to this day, I think our power lies in our communities and in our streets rather than in our city hall, state legislatures and in Congress right now. The issues that are really, truly transformative should never be limited by or governed by what's politically deemed politically possible or feasible within a given moment. It's not the responsibility of organizers to think about what's politically possible. It's to push as hard as you can to make things politically possible. So that's why I think that when you get frustrated with how the politics look, go back home, keep continuing to organize and mobilize. Remember that uh, issues overlap and intertwine for example, a lot of my work got started around immigrant rights work and public education. But I've also been really clear that, you know, an education movement or an immigrants rights movement that isn't also a movement for racial justice, for Black Lives Matter, for a Green New Deal, um, you know, for, for housing for all and healthcare as a human right isn't actually like a justice movement at all. It's just an issue that you pick up. The issue is, is that it's a both and and not an either or. And so you need movement politics to be in the streets. Those are things that anybody and everybody can and should do to invest in, to learn from, um, to grow from. I think what's become really creative right now is that there's less like hyper focus on just like the presidency or a senator or a congressperson. Like, you know, a district attorney can do more to change um, the course of criminal justice than anything that comes out of a president's mouth right now. School boards can uh, take police out of schools, like establish sanctuary districts. They can guarantee, you know, a diverse education system um, and a school to prison pipeline. I'm not going to be naive and tell you that, hey, if you voted November 3rd, everything changes for you and it's going to be, you know, like skipping down the yellow brick road. It's a struggle each and every step of the way. And there are different points where 
those among us will both be part of or see ourselves in the work. Um, but the key is to diversify, expand, and uplift people all throughout that process. And sometimes um, when we work hard enough, electoral politics becomes an avenue. And when it doesn't, you still keep working anyway, and you'll build out that moment for time for change. You know, with elections coming up next week on November 3rd, and you know, now more than ever, there's a lot of conversation about the importance of the APA vote. Uh, so Helen, if you could just kind of talk about why voting is important and maybe contextualize why in the past the APA vote has been so low in terms of turnout. I think that our viewers would really appreciate that. You know, I think the Asian American vote I, tracks a lot of things that we know are unequal in our nation, right? So obviously people with more money, with English language status, uh, privileges or with immigration status are going to be the ones who are most likely to vote. You know, that's part of the reason why I feel so strongly that elections shouldn't lie solely in the hands of politicians. I mean, we are an AAPI community that has long been marginalized. I think issues around healthcare, around care for our seniors, around immigration and detention, deportation issues, um, certainly around public education and schooling. And I, I do think that right now what we're trying to do is upend the traditional narrative that politicians are the politics of our country rather than the fact that uh, the movement that's sweeping through our streets right now, like whether it's for uh, Dreamers, DACA, and Citizenship for All, you know, closing concentration camps, demanding a higher minimum wage, insisting on labor rights, especially when immigrant workers are so subjected uh, and vulnerable to them, demanding health care, making sure that, you know, we value voting rights when we fought and many Americans died for them that these things are actually moving through the streets and at the local level and through communities, not really starting with city halls and state legislatures and Congress, but it's actually coming out of movements for change. But right now, what I see happening in this country is that young people from all walks of life have become deeply politicized by core issues that they can no longer ignore. And our politics are changing with it. So um, the key with some of the groups that I've been part of is to match these two on election day and to take the issues, uh, the young people who are organizing for change and reunite them back with our uh, seniors, our elders, our first generation and our political leaders and take to the polls on November 3rd in a true wave that comes out of the people. I also wanted to ask you, because you mentioned that it doesn't end at just voting, because even though it is like a very effective and currently the most direct way for us to have our voices heard, I think we also struggle with the fact that we don't know what civic participation and engagement looks like It's outside of going to the polls. We are only hearing like, go vote, go vote, go vote. But then like after election day, like what's next? Politics isn't just about the ballot box, voting day, and a bunch of politicians who are on the ballot. Politics is fundamentally about us. Um, it's about issues that we care about, the things that drive us. I mean, let's be real, right? Like if you're young and you're Asian American, um, your life is political right in this moment. One, the president's, you know, talking and doing schoolyard taunts from, you know, uh, and as are his other cabinet members, you know, right from the White House lawn. Um, 
our parents and grandparents' stories of immigrating to this nation are being like distorted, warped, and uh, destroyed or erased at, in this moment, you know, just in the ways that they're like rewriting the words off of the Statue of Liberty. They're rewriting our histories out of America. I want us to remember like it was an Asian American who helped establish birthright citizenship through the United States, Asian Americans who tackled internment and concentration camps that are rampant right now today, whether they're for immigrants or Guantanamo. It's Asian Americans who stood up, you know, to demand right to a schooling that was free from bias and harassment here in the city of Philadelphia and got a federal civil rights lawsuit. Our lives are political. And so if we remember that politics isn't about them or politicians or a ballot box, but it's about us, then we'll start to remember that on November 4th, the things that drove us to the polls in the first place, which is healthcare, education, um, immigration and citizenship for all movements, an end to deportation, uh, uh, to abolish ICE, um, to make sure that there's housing and affordable care and that there's a focus on small businesses instead of corporations in our country, then those things are going to become political. They are political. That's why people are voting. And it doesn't end on November 3rd. It just gets louder. And actually, you know, even in a good way, it goes back into our control on November 4th again. Like November 3rd is about, like, thank God, you know, you turn off the TV, you shut off the Twitter stream and you go and you vote. If you're in Pennsylvania, you've been voting for weeks right now because we have for the first time established early mail-in voting and super excited to welcome all Ikasu people uh, from PA who are, I'm sure, putting in their, yes, putting in your uh, ballots into the mail as we speak. It's, it's when democracy comes back to us, but also on November 4th, democracy goes back to our hands. You know, when you've been marginalized, one of the things that I learned really early on, like I'm not like sad when I'm outnumbered because I figure that when I go into a fight, I'm outnumbered. Well, when you're an organizer and you're an activist and then uh, you're used to being an outsider, you know, you're used to power saying no to you. And so what you do is you create the alternative routes. You find your way around, above, under, you know, or you overwhelm and you mow things down. And marginalized communities who are creative and active and organized uh, will be more effective on November 4th than any other community. Yeah, and to, you know, echo Jingjing's point um, about ways we can get more civically engaged um, outside of voting, um, Helen, if you don't mind, do you know of any, you know, organizations local to like the Philadelphia area that folks can potentially get involved with? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is to join uh, an organization or movement that's lifting people up right now. Um, politically, you know, I'll, obviously for all the listeners out there, APIPA is what uh, at least three of us are really deeply involved in and Jingjing being at, at Ori Center and uh, lifting up folks, um, you know, through uh, uh, different movements and organizing that's happening. Um, but, you know, there's more activism on the ground than ever before. Sunrise and environmental activists are taking over, uh, you know, uh, the airwaves and um, owning kind of the environmental space. And that feels like super hopeful and proud. Um, there are renters movements that are reinvigorating all across our city, our state and the nation. 
um, that are reminding us that, you know, when the mortgage foreclosure crisis happened, you know, a decade ago, uh, you know, people lost lost homes and are we're now a, a renter nation in a lot of ways. And so um, their voices are rising up. And of course, like there's nothing like the immigrant rights movement that I come out of. It's become more powerful, more vocal than ever. I do not want it to be subsumed. We're not going to be satisfied with executive orders on DACA and the DREAM Act. And we want citizenship for all. We want to abolish ICE. We want a real movement for uh, a path for citizenship for millions and millions of Americans. I, I started this podcast talking about finding a political home like Asian Americans United. And my biggest and most fervent effort for all the young people who are college students out there is that there's a place like that for you somewhere and, and you should spend the time to find out what it's like. You don't have to go for the one that's the loudest or the biggest or you know the one that's in the news all the time. You should go to the one that gives you the chance to give you leadership opportunities where you do a wide variety of things and you make sure that you're trying to work intersectionally and in coalition with other communities of color. I'm assuming you are the only Asian American woman in the room. Do you have any words for, I guess, like people who also identify as Asian American women to, I guess, like, I don't know, inspire them in these like rough times? You know, for all of us, uh, we're going to be the first no matter where we are, you know, whatever you may do, because this country is still evolving um, and all of that. Uh, and I, I'll be honest, like when I came, you know, I spent a lot of my life uh, building a world around me that was matriarchal, that was Asian American, uh, you know, that that was deeply rooted in culture, language, folk art traditions and Asian American identity. And coming into politics where it's like overwhelmingly male, gendered, you know, like white male in particular, um, or on a, you know, where almost everything is like only seen through a black white binary for race and other types of things. It's been, you know, like really eye opening and sometimes a challenge, but I was always lucky that I had my roots. I think again, uh, there's there's a home for all of us, and we should remember that it was a badass group of Asian American women um, like Yori, like Grace, uh, like Helen, Zia, and so many others um, who really led the charge, uh, you know, over generations um, and and helped uplift so many others. And so, you know, as women or who identify as women. This is this is an incredible moment and um, we're not alone, you know, and I think that we're looking at other women who are the first of their uh, communities, whether it's Ilhan Omar or Rashida Tlaib, who are really like like bringing dynamite to the, you know, to the party here and uh, just like really coming from selves. I'll say the the one thing that stands out more than anything else is a sense of authenticity. People want to know that you know who you are. And when you're young, I think like that's hard. You know, you don't always know who you are, what you want to be. You're aspiring. You're kind of looking out. And that's part of like the excitement of youth and of owning your own space. But you should be authentically you. There isn't any other kind of thing that people like want right now other than somebody who's real in this moment. So if there's something that I could say right now is that 
there's no perfect role model who's out there. The people who actually speak to you the most um, more than likely are people who spent time being themselves. Your most important role as a young person is to find a path and a place where you can also be that yourself and find your voice, learn to speak it and use it in creative ways, be compassionate and loving and human, build bridges, you know, burn down the fortress, but build bridges to everybody else. And, um, you know, and then, you know, I think that this world can be anything that we make of it. Do you ever feel burdened because sometimes like you are like a representative of like the Asian American community, especially in, I guess, Philadelphia? I know that when I come in, I have a chance to break a stereotype or reinforce it. And so I think that means that I have to be really purposeful and clear. I try to think about the fact that as AAPIs, we have a big moment right now around being um, in allyship with uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and with communities of color uh, laboring for justice. That means that we can't afford to be tiger moms and, you know, the stereotypes of tiger moms and others who are fighting to, you know, just represent ourselves as telling immigrants to get to the back of the line because we did it right or something or reinforcing like, you know, anti-affirmative action or dismissing uh, labor rights or being the face of any of that. I think it means that we are at the forefront of that. We understand what it means um, to be locked out of jobs and labor, to be working for subpar wages, to be locked out of healthcare and decent quality public schools, to never even be able to dream of like a college degree or anything like that. We, we can have a chance to break things down, lift things up, it could be me as an elected official, but it can also be you in the work that young people do on college campuses all across the country or in high schools or other places. So I think all of us have a role to play. And Helen, we like to end every podcast episode asking folks, you know, what's one good thing that we can do to make the world a better place? One good thing is to, uh, you know, to find your voice, um, to speak it loud and clear and never stop, even when they say, stop. <laughs> Keep going. Also vote November 3rd, please. Thank you everyone for listening to our very first episode of Community Echoes with Helen Gim. If you want to learn more about Helen Gim or Acosta's programming, please visit the episode description for more. And feel free to check out our YouTube for our Get Out to Vote videos in collaboration with Masu, the Midwest Asian American Student Union, and the hashtag I Am Not a Virus campaign. We just want to echo the folks to vote on November 3rd. Don't forget to bring your mask and stay safe. Our intro and outro music is brought to you by Olive Brandon and Sarah King. Community Echoes.